you're listening to Europe Calling with Barbara Ann and Vince Tracy. Well, a very good day. Welcome, everybody. It's Europe Calling. It's the 23rd of January, 2024. And my guest on this podcast is Barbara Ann. And we are looking at a beautiful day. The definition on the mountains looking nice. Uh, flowers looking good. Nice, beautiful day. So let me welcome in, first of all, Barbara Ann. A very good day. Welcome to you. Thank you, Vince. Welcome. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Hello, everybody. I hope everyone's having a good day. Anyway, it's beautiful here in Spain. Uh, we're very lucky. We don't seem to have any extreme weather here at the moment. Um, apart from we have had fires, but they seem to have all passed. And yeah, we're middle middle 20s, aren't we? Middle okay, 20s. so I think we'll preface everything we're going to talk about it with uh, let's hope that um, peace at sometimes comes to Ukraine and to Gaza and to all the people suffering in war zones around the world. And also, let's hope that the weather does settle down uh, for the UK, which has taken a, a battering. Um, our first uh, story today, uh, let's see, we'll go to this one. Okay, so a graphic designer forced his uh, bed and breakfast host to perform a sex act on him and told her he would leave a good review. Anyway, he's been found guilty and um, this all took place in the UK on May the 7th, 2021. Uh, this poor lady uh, welcomed him, him as her first ever guest and... Uh, <sighs> The, the, the sordid details come out that he's uh, offered the woman a relaxing massage and uh, they were enjoying a glass of war wine together at her home. And then the hostess uh, noticed he was getting handsy, uh, but admitted in a voice note to a friend um, th that uh, obviously um, he, he's Italian and, um, you know, basically it becomes gutter press material. But this actually um, does give us a little bit more to think about because uh, uh, bed and breakfast, you know, people are trying to um, obviously supplement income or build uh, themselves um, some money, trying to make their way in the world, this sort of thing. And... You know, uh, I thought it was worth discussing in the light of you don't know who on earth really you, you're inviting into your house. And, you know, we all have um, little things that we should think a bit more about. You know, I mean, uh, those people that are visiting, it you really expect them to behave. But obviously, in this particular case, no. And the airbnb um you know we've been on a few of those and they are very very nice and usually lovely people uh, not to be sort of messed with what are your thoughts on this one well exactly i mean we've been on quite a few airbnbs in france and in spain 
never had a problem, always very welcoming. Um, you know, some of them live in a different part of the house, so we had the, the um, separate part of the house to ourselves. So we could come in and out when we wanted, any time of the day or night. Um, um, and another time we were actually with a family, had breakfast with them, and we ate out. So, no, I mean... <laughs> As you say, you never know who you're going to um, invite and um, or or accept, I should say, especially um, um, maybe a single male. I'd be a little bit more dubious, but um, people are trying to make ends meet, and they've sort of turned to Airbnb because they have a spare bedroom. You know, the family might have grown up, or they've just got a spare room, and someone suggested, "Well, why don't you?" Uh, offer it to um, travellers so uh, or tourists if they're in a nice area. Um, it's just very sad that, like everything, there's, it's always a minority that spoil things, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the, the, the thought that crossed my mind is uh, if they're having a glass of wine together, you know, it should be an innocent enough activity. But really, it's probably not a professional thing to do. If you're running a business... And uh, basically, you know, well, you, you it's, it's not really a business, is it? It's more. Well, it is. It is a business, yes, but it's more friendly and more. You've you've gone to Airbnb to be not in a hotel situation where you don't speak to anyone. It's very sterile, isn't it? You go into a bedroom. Whereas, I think people pick Airbnb um, for the host to say where the best place is to go and interact with that person. Um, it is a business. I, I know you're taking money off someone, but it's not as strict as a hotel, I would say. If I came back to the house and, for example, uh, you've got a glass of wine, a couple of glasses of wine in front of you and a stranger that I didn't know, I wouldn't have thought that was the cleverest thing to do if you're on your own. I, I might be totally yeah, maybe, wrong. Maybe if you're on your own, yeah, and it's a male and a female, yes, I, I do, because... We've never been in that situation. We've had a drink uh, with the hosts, and usually they have a husband. So we can't really speak for that, can we? We've always mm. been in a family situation, a family home. So, um, yeah, I suppose you're taking it a little bit too personal. when you Well, do it that. Is, isn't there a saying, familiarity breeds contempt? And sometimes when you go back to these sayings that existed in the century, by bygone centuries, very often there's a logic that you can actually now see why it was sort of, you know, that expression. Mm. Um, if, if you've got somebody that you don't know, there's a danger on both sides. I mean, not only the, the, in this case, the poor Airbnb hostess was the one that... Uh, suffered, but I mean, it, it could work the other way. That you know, uh, she might have. Uh, it could be that it, it could be a female hostess uh, shouting uh, that something had happened when nothing had happened. Mm. I think you you you're, you should be more aware when you're on your own. Definitely, um, if there was somebody else in the house, you know, two women and having a drink. That's I don't think that's any problem with a, with a male. I mean. But I think you've got to be very, very careful when you're in the house on your own with a stranger. Because basically, even if he or she has been there for a couple of days, they're still, they don't know anything about them. No. You know, so I think you've got to be on, on your guard. 
as Dolly Parton sang about the danger of a stranger. Ooh. We're going to move on. Here's our next story that we're looking at. These are items in the news that uh, we're, just, we're discussing. We're not making the news. We're discussing what we are presented with. Okay, this one now is a top boarding school that charges parents £45,000 a year. Uh, This is in the UK, obviously, because these are the news items that we're reading from the United Kingdom. Um, So the kids are staying there £45,000 a year. And the school, uh, described as a top boarding school, has refused to clarify its position on transgender pupils after reports suggest they had the option of staying in accommodation that matched their gender identity. Uh, Now, these are the sorts of things which are really quite important for parents to think about, especially um, if you're not just in the business of dumping your child. But um, Bedale School in Hampshire, which counts stars like Lily Lily Allen and Daniel Day-Lewis as students, I must be honest, really, that doesn't impress me one way or the other. Uh, But they've said they treat all their young people as individuals after they were asked if a trans girl who was born male could be allowed to sleep in a female dormitory. Such an arrangement would clash uh, with updated government guidance, which last year stated trans children must sleep in dorms that match their biological sex. In a statement given to the newspaper, uh, the school has refused to debunk claims that their boarding accommodation was making exceptions for trans pupils. A spokesman said normal channels of communication with house parents are very much open if they want to discuss any concerns. Um, Later on in this article, I I read uh, about somebody from the Conservatives for Women explaining... Imagine working in a school having a statutory safeguarding responsibility for the children in your care uh, and even contemplating allowing boys and girls to share sleeping accommodation. Personal explanation and identity is completely irrelevant, yet this is the power of this corrosive ideology. It shows precisely why the government must make its proposed gender questioning guidance compulsory and embedded into keeping children safe in education, statutory guidance for schools. Okay, Um, just as a parent, grandparent, whatever it is, you know, it doesn't really make any odds, Um, you can reflect back on any time the kids went away you wanted to make sure very quickly that they're not going to have... If you remember, our worry was more hanky-panky, wasn't it, than anything else? That would have been, you know, the, the thing that we would have discussed so that there was no messing about. I and mean, that was the way it was phrased. Yeah, exactly. I mean, going back to younger days, um, the boys, the, all the three boys all went on um, cub camp which again, you're relying on the cub leaders, um, you know, the not cub leaders, the scout leaders to be, you know, above board. And uh, obviously it was nearly all boys, but there were some girls on it um, a couple of times, but they were under, under 12 anyway. And in any situation where your child is under supervision away from home for a period of time, 
you trust the people that they're with to use their common sense and their their rules about you know going to bed and not you know not mixing in tents and things like that. And I would imagine it's exactly the same in, in a boarding school. Well, it, you know. it would appear from what's being said in the article that there's a, a new government policy, which I've, I have seen, um, which is basically saying, you know, you have to stay with the gender that you yeah. were born into. I think so. So basically uh, what the school seems to be saying uh, is that uh, in their opinion, from what we're reading in this article um that they can do what they like well you can't no. really well, do what you no, like can I think, you no definitely not um because unless transgender people are all in the same room i mean we're talking a minute amount of people anyway i mean you know out of i don't know 500 students you might have about five that are transgender no, i don't even think you'd have five i mean we're talking about in the uk from the recent to the most recent um, statistics, 0.03 of the population. It seems nonsensical that we're even having to have a discussion mm. from a newspaper article about something which really is fairly commonsensical, isn't it? It's Well, it's minute, isn't it? I mean, in all my life... Um, not, I've met or seen maybe two or three people that are different. I would say I would say they're different, but we've been to big uh, functions. We've been to big openers, um, uh, uh, pop concerts, and things like that. And I, I'm, I'm, I've got to be really truthful. Um, hardly anybody. Well, I, I say the, maybe one or two people in a thousand people. You think, well, the, they they might be a little bit different, but when they're all together in, say, the parade, the pride parade, and things like that, obviously it looks like it's a lot of people, but that's when they're all congregating together. But if you go around the country and the, all the places people live, you know, you might say, oh, you know, he or she is um, gay. Um, you know, but it's not a lot of people. Well, we had a walk in Benidorm the other day and the promenade was full That's, of people mm. and I did say to you, I remember actually making the comment, do you know what, we've walked up and down this promenade and not one person appears to be sort of away from the general run of people. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, over my lifetime, uh, having worked in CD clubs and in sort of things where you would expect lots of maybe strange problems to exist. Um, I can't say I saw that many. And quite honestly, all the problems that if I wanted to really put my finger on it, I seem to think that it's all come from TV and the music scene. That's where I think most of this has come from. And so I wonder, you know, what's driving it? You, you know, do, is it kids see this uh, strange way of behaving, if you like? And dressing. I mean, yeah. I remember when all the punks came out. I mean, you know, I started seeing um, not just nothing to do with gender. I mean, it was all about just putting something yeah. ridiculous on top of your head but, and walking around like, but, you, but you know. When we were, ki when we were teenagers in our 20s, we, lots of people used to say they want you to look at them. They want to be different, like the um, the goths and things like that. It's it's a breed of, or a, a breed of teenage uh, boys and girls that want want uh, to be stared at. They want people to look at them. 
Um, Didn't they always used to call them exhibitionists? Exactly, exhibitionists. um, And that's what they want. So uh, I don't know whether that comes into the other thing. But I would say if I, I ever had put my children into boarding school for whatever reason, work or working abroad, which I think a lot of the parents are, um, I would expect them to have the highest of standards. And I would say, if you've got two or three transgender people, put them in a, in a bedroom on their own because you just don't know, do you? Why should they be allowed to say they're male, but they want to be with the females or vice versa? Well, it's the tail wagging the dog at the moment. Yeah, and they're just bending over And what really yeah. worries me more than anything else is the absence of leadership from teachers in particular. I don't hear anybody... At the odd objection that uh, gets in the papers is always somebody who's been thrown out of the school for objecting, which is totally and utterly wrong. Uh, where are the uh, religious leaders? Where, do, where are the church leaders? I hear nothing that gives good, sensible guidance that managed to get us all through previous centuries. I'm going to move on and uh, we'll find... Our next story. We're discussing the news as presented on the online papers and sometimes things that we've seen on the TV as well. But this time, I'm talking about a lady called Emanuela Torrielli. And the picture in the paper shows her contemplating this rather large plastic capsule that she was holding in her hand at the time. Uh, Apparently she was uh, inspecting it like it could have been a piece of food she's about to swallow, uh, which is exactly what she's going to do with it. And apparently uh, to be able to do that is no mean feat. The capsule, we're talking something which is three centimetres long and two centimetres wide. Uh, So you'd expect something like that Um, in this particular article. They've mentioned it could have been a horse tablet. It also has a long, thin tube attached, uh, which is two millimetres wide. And why is she going to swallow it? Well, the lady hopes it will help her achieve something she's not managed her whole adult life. And that is to lose weight and keep it off. And I know this is important to lots and lots of people, which is why it's so more important to have your particular point of view um, on whether or not this is something you would do. For inside this capsule is a collapsed balloon. Apparently, once she swallowed it, it's going to be inflated to partially fill her stomach. And this, it's hoped, will then um, stop her wanting to eat. So this is extreme. I I mean, I I do feel... I feel very sorry for people that obviously... They they, they either don't have the discipline to say, I'm not going to eat more, or they don't have the metabolism that allows them um, to sort of enjoy a normal sort of um, body shape. Over to you. It's important to get your point of view. Well... Uh, for a start, I wouldn't do that, you know, because you don't know whether it's been tried and tested or whatever. I mean, there's... there's first, sort of, first time ever that was, apparently. Oh, you know, uh, definitely not then. I mean, you have the other operation where you have the uh, the band, don't you? And that's been 
tried and tested and does work for extreme overweight people. But <clears throat> even extreme overweight people have to be a certain weight before the hospitals will do it. I mean, uh, they have to lose a lot of weight first. But um, I wouldn't say I've been struggling with my weight, um, but I'm not... I'm not extremely overweight, but I, I keep an eye on it. Uh, as Vince said, you know, if I go up, a, say, a couple of kilos, I cut back a lot on the sweet stuff and, you know, things like that. I, I'm in control of it, put it like that. I haven't really changed in the last 20 years because I'm still <laughs> wearing some clothes and trousers that still fit me. So I, I'm okay. But I do know people that struggle, and especially if you're on medication, which is not your fault, um, when you've had a, a problem and uh, your the medication makes you fat. I do feel sorry for those people because they can't do anything about it. The steroids, that's what I was trying to think of the word, um, do, do put weight on you f uh, to make you better in the, on the other hand. But I don't know why people get to the extreme that they do uh, you know, like sort of 30 stone or something like that. I think it must be a depressive thing as well, that you get to a certain weight and you just think you're not going to lose it, so you carry on eating. I mean, that's the only only explanation I can give, really. We often go to one of the resorts here, Benidorm as an idea, um, and you look at people walking past you and there is a huge amount of people who would appear to be coming from Britain who are overweight. Now, a lot of these seem to come to Benidorm to sit in the sun, which is they're quite entitled to do, so I'm not criticising. Um, and they obviously seem to not worry about having this really, really large belly. And yet the, <coughs> the one thing that uh, I always feel, if I can say it in the right way and not uh, offend anybody is uh, of our friends that have died, a lot of them seem to have had too much alcohol, which seems to have given them a big um, a barriga, I think they call it in Spanish, but, you know, the belly, if you like, beer belly, or um, in, in the case of wine, very often a wine belly. And I think that's really where, where you can do something about it. Now, if, on the other hand, you look at the fact that so many women actually bring a child into the world and you know sometimes two three four and even more children then it's a fantastic gift uh, to the world to bring a new child in and sometimes it's going to be very very difficult to get back to your normal weight well, so yeah, that's, that's my point of view i think a woman in general has a harder time um because the metabolism after your menopause is slows right down um, and as you say we see many younger people that look older but you can tell that by their children that they may be only in their 30s and because they're overweight it makes you look older uh, but they don't seem to really worry about it I, I just can't understand it really why somebody between say 20 and 30 uh, can't get a hold of that fairly quickly. Um, it's a little bit different when you're in your 50, 40s and 50s and if you've had you know, a few children. But even so, I, I don't feel sorry. That's not the right word. I just feel that it's a shame that they can't find something um, 
to help them. Um, but some people, they're not bothered. You know, some people say, you know, I'm 40, 50, 60. I'm just going to enjoy myself. So you can't really criticise that everybody can't be skinny or slim. So well, we're, the, all, I mean, we're all different, the, aren't the, we? There are three body types anyway. I mean, if you tend to be a bit uh, fatter, if you tend to be a bit thinner, and if you tend to be in the middle. Those are the three somotypes they called. Um, ba- basically, uh, endomorph, mesomorph, um, you know, ectomorph. There, there are terms which have been developed over the years, which people obviously uh, have had this problem for centuries. And the thing that uh, affluence seems to bring is an ability to sit around, eat more food than you need, and drink more beer than you need, or alcohol. And the alcohol industry never, ever seems to want to pick up the tab for what it's doing. And you know as well as I do that we went out the other day, and um, I don't particularly enjoy alcohol at the moment. It's not that I'm a goody-goody, but, you know, when the order is, is asked for, and you say, just have a bottle of water, please, I mean, the, the lady was, she seemed to be astonished that I didn't want to drink any wine or alcohol. You know, and it's it's not that I particularly want to be a goody-goody. I'm, I just don't really enjoy it, especially if I know I might drink later in the day. Well, yeah, I'm just saying if you don't need it, um, it's like <laughs> just going on from that is uh, smoking. Again, uh, this is something we've never done. And the children, our children don't smoke and we've never smoked. Lots of our friends have never smoked. But that, again, is a choice. And unfortunately, it's an addiction. But what we can't understand is when you're having a meal and a person or a couple of people go outside to have a cigarette before the meal, then they have the first course, then they go out again and have another cigarette... I just can't understand this, that they can't finish three or two courses without going out to have a cigarette. Again, it's just something not in my my psyche to do that. But it just still amazes me the way they can't have, not say the sense, but they can't have, the, the, they don't want to it's have the willpower, a isn't it? Really? Willpower, that's the word. They haven't got the willpower to say, I'm going to finish my meal and then I'm going to have a cigarette with a cup of coffee or a glass of wine. End of. But, but we don't understand it because we've we never done it. We don't understand it. Yeah. it. It is an addiction and that's mostly what it is, but it still amazes me. Okay, we're moving on. Here comes the jingle. You're listening to Europe Calling with Barbara Ann and Vince Tracy. Okay, we're staying with a bit of a theme and it's drink again. Okay, so energy drinks next. Uh, these are creating a generation of insomniacs. So um, this uh, is not something that I'd picked up on. I'd not really seen it, not really thought too much about it. Uh, but apparently with just a few cans a week, it triggers poorer sleep. 
Now, this is suggested by research, so I don't know whether or not it's totally saying that this this is a fact, but it would appear that the research suggests that a study um, uh, is telling us that those aged 18 to 35 who consumed the drinks every day slept around half an hour less than those drinking them occasionally or not at all. Um, so the more a person drinks, the fewer hours of shut-eye a night they had. I suppose that makes a bit of sense. Uh, leading to daytime tiredness, according to the research. Now, according to what they're telling us, among men, having two or three drinks a week meant they were 35%, forget the, yeah, about a third, um, more likely to have a bedtime after midnight. 52% more likely to sleep less than six hours and 60% more likely to wake in the night than those who didn't or rarely drank uh, these type of drinks. For women, they were 20, well, they give you the percentages. So, um, right, there's a bit of sense in this, isn't it? I mean, well, you're told that, to drink. That's what they're supposed to do, isn't it? I mean, it sounds a bit silly, really, because energy drinks, or um, if you've got a, a job that you need to keep awake, for instance, if you're on the phones at night, if you're um, on duty, <coughs> you're doing the shift, the night shift, you know, like security men, uh, even doctors and nurses, uh, you know, anything that you have to stay awake at night, uh, any sort of job, um, I would imagine people do do that, do, do drink the energy drink uh, for the reason to stay awake. Um, I just think it's a bit silly having these sort of things because nothing's really proved, is it? I mean, uh, well, I mean, I if it's spiked, really. if it's spiked with sugar, yeah. And basically, I remember when these, I remember when these first came out, and there was an article I read, and it said you just as well, you may as well just have another potato as one of these. But really, um, you know, it's like having you trying to have your cake and eat it. Yeah, but I think I don't think another. Yeah, it is true another potato. But if you're thirsty, um, and you you know rather than have coffee and tea, you say, oh, I'll, you know, it's a drink plus an energy booster. So it's not just a potato or something like that. You could be thirsty. So, um, but I think it, it is what it is on the label. It's telling you that if you drink it, you'll stay awake, you'll be more alert. So h how silly is that to um, have a, a study on it? Because I mean, I even wonder, as you're talking, I'm thinking, could it be, and I don't know whether the research has been done on this, could it be that looking at your phone for a couple of hours before you go to sleep um, tends to make you not want and, to go to sleep. And watching the television. they they, I mean, we do have our television in the bedroom, but we only watch it for very, very rarely, really. But <clears throat> they do say that you shouldn't watch the television in your bedroom. So how many people use their phone in the bedroom with um, you know video on, like, for instance, the younger generation? Uh, how many people look at their emails in bed on the telephone? And you've got all that spinning around in your head. Um, and then you can't get to sleep. So there's lots of factors of why people don't sleep. Worry, um, financial worry, um, home home life worry, you know, children's worries. There's just, you know, usually money is a big thing. It's not just because you have a, an energy drink. I mean, that's just been um, a bit silly, really. Well, e eating and drinking um, late anyway. Uh, late at night is another factor. You know, it's just, there's lots of things why people don't sleep. Could also be that you're not tired. 
you know, if, if you're... If you've had a sleep in the day, like in, in, in Spain, we have a siesta in the, definitely in the summer, um, and you don't need that. So what? how we compensate, isn't it? We go to bed late, and then we are tired. You know, we're not pe- we're not people that go to bed at 10 or 11 at night and say, oh, I wake up at 6 in the morning. Well, obviously you will, because you've had seven or eight hours sleep. Mm. But if you go to bed at 1 o'clock... You'll wake up at nine o'clock, and it depends on what you what you do during the daytime. Because for some people, they don't re- they potter around in they it. It's not yeah, just they don't use all their energy. And we're not talking about older people. We're talking about very often young people who yeah. basically don't seem to do anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, well, uh, just a reminder that we're not really just trying to criticise. We're looking at. Uh, the articles and looking at the way they're presented as if things are maybe um, fact. Okay, uh, let's go to the next one then. So. Always somewhere in the mix, we've got to talk about the. Um, members of parliament we're looking at the uk news and we have to say that because we basically find it easier we watch the uh, the new uk news some of these articles do appear um but this particular one tory mps were hitting back at keith starmer's uh, keir starmer sorry uh, kgb tactics after he accused the conservatives of sabotaging charities such as the RNLI and National Trust. Uh, This was in a speech that was made in London and the leader of the Labour Party uh, was uh, engaging, apparently according to the government, in McCarthyism, weird sort of stuff that was around during the uh, American political scenes, trying to find uh, woke agendas in British civic institutions, Apparently he sniped uh, the Tories had become tangled up in culture wars of their own making. Uh, This is due to a desperation to cling on to power at all costs. So uh, he's busy saying that. And obviously the Conservatives, you'd expect they come back with uh, that they're speaking up for traditional values in an effort by the left itself to undermine these institutions. So you've got all this going on. And uh, Labour front, front bencher Thangam Debonair, what a name, the Shadow Culture Secretary. Uh, suggested her party would not be opposed to children being taught about white privilege. The term is used to refer to inherent advantages possessed by a white person on the basis of their race in a society characterised by racial inequality. Okay, uh, we're two white people. It doesn't matter to me that if somebody calls me white, I'm not white. I'm, I'm more pink and sort of bits of all different colours and I try and get sunburnt. So it's nonsense, all this um, stuff. But I do understand how it must be very annoying and confusing when, you know, all you've done to offend anybody is have a darker skin. I hate this. It's something that really does bug me. I look at some of these uh, lovely um, black people. I think they really do look nice people. um, And it's like everything. You see some 
nice white people, some not so nice white people, and you see some very lovely looking black people, and you see some that maybe are not quite so lovely. So um, I put that to one side as nonsense. However, white privilege, when you come from a country that was a white country, I don't see that, that that's privilege. I just think that's your culture, that's your heritage. Am I being daft, do you think? No, not at all. I mean, it's not, as you say, we, we were brought up, uh, England was basically um, a white population. Um, I mean, if you put me into um, a culture of a black population, um, I would be like uh, a fish out of water, wouldn't I be, you know, stirred at or why are you here and all this carry on. But at the end of the day, I think all these politicians and people that protest about colour, they're, they're winding people up to um, to feel like this because we, we saw something on the television quite a long time ago and it was in London, it was in the market area, you know, like an outdoor market. There were completely loads of different nationalities and everything and they were talking to black um, stallholders saying that we've been friends with our, you know, our people, the white, well, white people, English people, for 20 th generations, and there's absolutely no, no bother. And it's the, I think, I don't know whether it's the media or, or certain people want to split, split people. Um, they want to say all these horrible things, and they want us to be separated when really, you know, we're not separated at all. I mean, you see lots of people, different nationalities in fantastic jobs, you know, educated, um, been to university. There's no difference, really. Well, you, but you, people you, try to make it a big issue that we don't get on with different coloured skins. I just don't understand. Well, look, we've both made the comment that all the adverts seem to have suddenly, over the last year, gone black. And it's a policy. There's no two ways about this. If you um, remember, we'll be watching the news and we've seen people like Clive Myrie as the newscaster. And both of us have said, what a lovely cultured man. Um, there's another guy, I can't remember all the names, but, you know, uh, another black presenter. They look very, very nice. And, you know, um, then... no problem. Yeah, I mean, it's just that they're a black, black person. You know? Well, I just don't reading understand. into this article, I'll tell you what did, did cross my mind. Um, the the the, um, the Tories, of course, were hitting back because Starmer had been saying that they're sabotaging uh, charities such as the Royal Naval Lifeboat Institution, the RNLI, and the National Trust. Well, I don't think that either of them have got this right. I think. People are not giving money to these organisations in the way they used to because I've seen it written by people on Facebook, things like, I'm not going to give any more money to the RNLI because they're sending lifeboats out to, um, to bring in the people on these boats. Uh, the illegal immigrants, if you like. And then um, somebody had also written, not the same person, about the National Trust. Uh, I am not going to give money to a woke organisation because they're playing all this silly stuff as well. So I think both parties have got this wrong. I think they're playing into the hands of the Agenda 2030 Brigade. It's all written up, but 
most people haven't been bothered to go and read it and we're, we're paying the price for it so there we are okay what do you think well I didn't know about the RNLI because for all my life uh, and yours as well, and, uh, you, it's always been run by charities, which I fiercely object to because I think that those type of things are lifesavers in general. They go out uh, unpaid um, and they save people in the, on the seas. Um, I've always thought that the government should pay something towards that, as again with the air ambulance. I mean, if you live in a country country place, you know, countryside place, and uh, it's not accessible by um, ambulance, or it's a severe accident and you need a quick response, I mean, why aren't the government helping and, and putting some money towards these air ambulances and things? I'll, I'll never understand that one. But... Um, I don't know about people not contributing anymore. I think there will be a lot of people that still will contribute. Um, but as far as the National Trusts are concerned, we used to live down in Cornwall and we were members of the National Trust because you got him free to all these lovely mansions and gardens and, and they did keep them lovely. So I don't really see how they are woke um, well, I think the reason why uh, people have said they're woke is that they uh, are all following this. You've got to have, you know, a certain percentage of your staff have got to be either this, that, the other, male, female, gender-based, blah-de-blah. Uh, well, uh, and I think people are sick and tired of it. You should be, wherever you work in, especially if you're a volunteer, you should be there on merit exactly. if you're good well, enough. I was just going to say, it doesn't matter what colour, breed or whatever you are, it should go to the best person or if you're volunteering, for goodness sake, you know, you should accept them with open arms. I mean, let's be honest about it. For those people that play the race card and um, maybe disability cards all, all the time, and a lot of people are doing this these days, all our lives we've um, suffered from certain things that were weighted, uh, you know, where we wanted maybe to do something and we weren't allowed to because basically we were whatever we were. And unfortunately, you know, uh, if you go for a job and somebody else gets the job just because maybe they're disabled or whatever these days... Um, you know, if they can do the job, there should not be a problem. Exactly. But I if they can't do the job, yeah. there is a problem. Yeah, that, that, exactly. I think any any job, any situation, and you've got to interviews and you've got the, the final five or whatever it is, it should be the best person who's got the job, you know. It shouldn't be a case of, you know, it's colour or it's disabled. If you've got the ability to do that job, you should get it. Well, it's nice, isn't it, when, when, when you see... Uh, a story on the TV these days where you look at, you know, somebody who's been disabled having the chance yeah. to do something that they um, previously would not have been able to do. Um, but when you can see somebody obviously contrived to make that situation when really they probably aren't the best person, then that's where the trouble comes from. OK, we're going to move on. Uh, let's play... We'll do this one. Hey, 
So there's a 20-year-old lady now, and uh, this I'm reading about quite a few times in the paper over the last couple of weeks. And she's been uh, to Turkey and tried to get a, 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 an operation. Uh, this is actually a weight loss operation. And uh, she was bullied for her weight. Um, you know, sadly, th- th- there's always been a, a little TikTok thing gone through before all this seems to have happened. Uh, my last post before weight loss surgery. See you on the other side. 20-year-old flew to Turkey with her boyfriend for a gastric sleeve operation. So we've sort of been talking a little bit earlier about these things because she didn't want to um, be placed on an NHS waiting list for years. So um, this is not the first time that you've got young people going away with quite, well, just a lot of money, really, you know. Um, coming back um, either harmed or looking pretty, well, in fact, in this case, extreme because she's died. Um, and she says, her mum says she never wants this to happen to another daughter. Um, her procedure, Morgan is the name of the, the lady that died, took place on January the 5th. And three days later, she was given the all clear to fly home with her boyfriend. However, on the return flight to Gatwick, she became seriously ill and went into septic shock. After the plane made an emergency landing in Serbia, it emerged that her small intestine had been cut during the gastric sleeve procedure, leading to an infection. I mean, how sad. Mm. You know, when somebody has had those type of um, problems and, and, and probably, you know, silly comments that people just don't think about, you know. Yeah. Well, as you know, I was in the... Um nursing um, circle when I was younger. And you've got to accept that any, any operation is, is c- could be dangerous and could be fatal. It doesn't matter. We, we've, we know somebody, unfortunately, a long time ago, went in for a routine uh, appendix operation and complications and uh, she died. So... You should never ever underestimate an operation, whether it's a day a day case or a big op- you know an hour few hours operation, because you're in the hands of experts, and you put your trust and and faith in them bringing you through these things. But this is tragic in the sense that it's obviously been nicked, um, you know, in the operation, and it hasn't been detected. So I feel very, very sorry for it. It is so sad. I mean, you know, unfortunately, these uh, articles then bring you pictures of this um, poor lady. And um, sometimes, you you know, you might even be better without the picture, if I'm honest, you you know, because obviously there'll be those that... When people want to be unkind to people, they just plough on, don't they? Some people just... They revel in it. Okay, I'm going to just give you a warning next about uh, another scam which you might have heard about. So, let's have a look. Okay, so this is... um, a scam called I Can't Believe He's Gone. 
and apparently it has been already highlighted by a cyber security um, uh, researcher called Peter Arntz from uh, the company Malwarebytes. For those people that don't use it on their computers, maybe I can give them a quick uh, plug because they are a very good uh, free service. You can buy the other version and have more protection, but they they are good in a general sense. Anyway, this gentleman explained in a a blog post, the scam consists of a post containing a variation sometimes on the theme, I can't believe he or she has gone, I'll miss him so much or whatever. And then there's a link. And if you follow the link, you will be brought to another Facebook page showing what appears to be a BBC News article about a fatal road accident. The post will also contain slightly different text to the original one, um, and uh, but the post might appear legitimate, which is very often the case. And, you know, I'm looking at things thinking, oh, that is or it isn't, and you, you've got to be so careful um, because uh, the link will be to a malicious website the gentleman writes the BBC News logo in the picture and the BBC News part of the uh, the unique uh, address are obviously intended to gain your trust um, and making you feel that it's, that it's safe to play the video. Uh, but my advice, and I'm sure you've heard it by many other better informed people than me, don't click links as much as you possibly can. Okay, you're getting things through the internet um, or through your phone. What protection do you feel you've got? Well, uh, because I've got you you telling me not to link on things, I just don't link on things, really. Um, um, I'm not really a big big user of the telephone anyway. Um, I look at things, but I I don't really get involved in sort of big involved things on the internet and things like that um, I'm just not that um, not interested really uh, plus the fact I, I don't want to make a mistake but um, you see there's a television program on at the moment if people are listening in England called Scammers and I just can't well I can't understand why after so many years so many years people are told that if somebody rings you up you don't know them and they ask you, at the end of the day, they ask you for your bank details for whatever reason. Um, you just don't do it. But so many people are sucked into it that they um, they do believe it. And this scamming uh, program intercepts them as much as they can. They've intercepted hundreds, apparently. And usually the scammer is in a completely different country. It sounds very plausible. But these interceptors uh, can get in touch with a person, I don't know how they do it, but on the phone and say, you're being scammed, do not put any details in. But how many times do you have to tell that to somebody? I just don't know. You know, I would never, ever um, give any bank details to anybody on my phone, and um, unless it obviously was family, but not to a stranger. Um, okay, it just well seems a sensible thing to do. I'm going to try and squeeze two more items in. And And here's the first. Okay, now it's uh, this is the hypocrisy that really gets me. 
And, uh, you know, I, I can only read the information that is uh, in the papers. And then is it designed to make you feel this way? So it's about a Labour MP um, in the United Kingdom uh, still living in a council flat. And uh, this is two years after admitting it's probably not something that I need. Okay, so having said that, so this is a well-paid, she gets about 70 or 80,000, I think it is, for the MPs these days. Um, Begum is the name, attacked the Conservatives just last week for having no solutions to the housing crisis. Yet she's been occupying this taxpayer-funded flat in a deprived London borough where 23,000 households are on the waiting list and desperate families face a three- to six-year wait. Uh, she's obviously a left-winger, you'd expect that. She's from the Labour Party. And, uh, yeah, here, here's her salary, £86,584 a year. Uh, she was seen leaving her £330,000 Riverside property funded by the public, uh, typing on her phone. Well, that's a bit... Why did we need to know she was tapping on her phone? Anyway, the same day this month, she tweeted from the NHS to housing, the Tories offer no solutions to the current crisis. But we've seen this hypocrisy all the time. You know, all these um, union leaders who get everybody out on strike, they're the ones who don't lose any money. You know, they're still getting their 120000 or whatever it might be. Uh, it's the hypocrisy for me. Your thoughts? Well, exactly. I mean, these people that wind people up in general about anything, uh, as you say, they don't lose the month. They don't lose their wages. But the people that go on strike, um, uh, you know, they've got families or, or in most cases and uh, mortgages to pay. Blah de blah. Um, they're the ones that are um, doing the work. If you know what I mean, it's not the people in the high up places, um, but. I don't know how many MPs do have um, another property in London, for instance. <coughs> I don't know about that. But uh, there's so many people, isn't there, on the waiting list? I mean, I'm not going to go there about um, illegal immigrants. But, for instance, it would annoy me if I was in a hotel, say, with two children in a one room for more than a couple of years. I mean, this is the situation. And you see people with no. Well, I said, I, I, I don't want to feel. I do feel sorry for them, but they're getting treated better than people who have waited patiently to be housed. Yeah. Um, I know it's not ideal to be in um, accommodation. Um, you know, the refugees or the asylum seekers, but they don't pay for any food. They don't pay. The lodgings, they don't pay rent, they don't pay anything for their electricity. Whereas the people that are struggling, I can understand people getting annoyed. We all feel sorry for these people. But at the end of the day, you you can only do so much, can't you, really? And then um, people start getting annoyed because they've waited patiently. OK, I've got one last story, which I want to try and just have a quick look at. Uh, it's this one. So two brothers have been jailed after they filmed themselves torturing and mutilating animals. Uh, now, this is uh, all about uh, horrifying and really sadistic type of videos. And um, uh, they're, they're, 
names. I'm not going to give many publicity, but these two use their phones to record themselves. This is what's so annoying. The way people are just, you know, um, I don't know, filming horrible things uh, during one... Um, stabbing a deer in the eye and encouraging a dog to bite a hare and during the one depraved incident so it goes on to talk about the per mutilated the genitals of a deer uh, so that the officials couldn't even tell if it was a male or a female um, cruelty beyond comprehension is one vet description says the worst case of animal abuse he's ever seen in 25 years the 24 and 29 and uh, to be honest with you, um, these are in a beautiful part of the country, the New Forest National Park in Hampshire, 2021 and 2022. Um, uh, just basically, they're, they're just absolutely violent, vile human beings for me. Um, I mean, I can't understand where have they got these ideas. It's got to come from either the, the dark web mm. or violent films. Well, it's not normal. It's, it's not normal at all. They're, they're obviously sadistic, aren't they? They're, um, they like to see cruelty. Um, but does that sort of go on to being cruel to humans? I mean, what are their families like or the, where they live? Are they cruel to people in the house? I mean, so much cruelty goes on behind closed doors that you'd be absolutely shocked by, wouldn't you? I mean, we hear of these children being abused by parents, uncles, and, you know, all sorts of things. And it's all behind closed doors. There's so much that people don't know, I think. OK, with only a minute left... I think the problem for me lies with the lack of control of what's being put out, A, on television, which they should be able to control very quickly, and B, what's on the internet, which is going to be far more difficult to control because it's out on people's phones, etc. Yeah, I agree, but I think it's only a tiny, tiny percentage of people that have that mentality to be that cruel. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're they're normal, if you know what I mean. Um, and hopefully, they they are going to jail. But wouldn't you stop these um, films where they have totally gratuitous violence? Exactly, but I still think it's only a majority of people that take it to that extreme yeah, but who needs, in real life. Who needs violence? I know, I don't like it. I know, and and, and the video games exactly the same, killing everyone. But again, I only think it's a, the minority that take it to the next. The next level, put it like that. Okay. Um, normally, I think school teachers should be spotting some of this behaviour. You know, if you can't see, because, you know, I, I, I taught in the primaries and the secondary modern schools, and you always had a bit of an idea where the problems were going to come from. And I remember one of the school teachers, she said to me, the biggest change in my career over the whole of my lifetime is the number now of single parent families. That's not to say that I'm criticizing any single mothers, by the way, because they do a fantastic job. But, um, you know, the school teachers should spot a lot more of this. Well, yeah, I mean, when, when, you, when I was going to school, and even our sons have said, you know, having fights in the playground, which is, well, I say normal, but it happens. Um, but for somebody to actually physically hurt somebody, or, t you know, like now, the stabbing them and things like this, I think this does all come from on the television as well, I think. 
and, and the um, video games. Okay, Barbara, and thank you very much for your company. And um, obviously, See look forward to week. speaking to you next week. Yeah, bye, everyone. Thank Have you. a nice day. Bye, bye.